Welcome back, rugby fans, of course, to the Rugby Debate Show. We'll put ourselves and our guests to the test here on the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. My name is Ty Braga, your host for today's activities alongside the familiar faces and voices of Sup, the big guy Ferrara. Joining him, of course, is Rob, the Hammer Hammerschmidt. These are your locals. These are your regulars. But today... We have a competitor. Joining us from North Carolina is super fan for Rugby ATL, Daryl McCormick. Daryl, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks, Ty. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's great to be here. Great to be well, with you guys. It's awesome to be able to have fans join us like yourself who are doing their part to be able to help grow the game we also love. And uh, that's why we really had to bring you here to be able to try and take down Rob and Scott in this rugby debate, right? I'll give him my best shot. Hey, Daryl, I just want to make sure nobody's going to be strutting through your background getting in bed in their skibbies, are they? No, no. Okay. That, that not. As you can tell, I am on the road, but I am by myself on the road. Okay. All right, cool. <laughs> All right, for anybody who's not able to see what we see, that probably sounded pretty odd. <laughs> <laughs> So let's, 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 let's return to, to the theme of the evening, rugby, right? So let's, before we dive into that, also give a shout out to somebody important who helps us be able to do what we do on a weekly basis for you as the fans, and that's canibrands.com. This CBD plant-based product will help you mend, heal, refresh, revitalize everything you need to be able to help you through your daily life whether it be the Can I Boost, which is my personal favorite because it's got that little bit of the caffeine kick to it that helps you get that extra pep in your step throughout the day. That there is really the trick to my success throughout the day, I can tell you that. <laughs> uh, but it is so easy to be able to apply. You've got a dropper. You've also got the, uh, the spray. So whatever you may prefer, these are non-habit forming. They're a great alternative to prescription drugs. 0% THC, so never worry. If that's not what you want, you're not going to get that. But what you will get is a credible product that is used by fantastic athletes across the nation, whether it be all the top sports or even down to the MLR with the Free Jacks currently using many of their products to help them in their mending and healing processes. Because we partnered with them recently, we are offering to all of our listeners the chance to be able to go and check out canibrands.com using the promo code RAMP25 for an additional 25% of anything that you order. And that means put as much as you can in your cart because everything will be 25% off, not just any single product. It's everything in that cart. And once you exceed $49 on one purchase, you'll also go ahead and get free shipping anywhere in the continental U.S. that they, of course, ship to. And that, again, is canibrands.com. Check them out using the promo code RANT25. That being said, gentlemen, I now need to be able to return to the matter at hand, which is what is the debate for this episode 69 here on the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. And recently, news broke that in the developing news, we always knew that the USA was preparing to be a contender to host the Rugby World Cup. They already expanded on the thought that they were planning to do 2027 as their first bid, 2029 for the Female Rugby World Cup, and then, of course, culminating in that final bid that we all believed was probably the most likely of them, right, would be 2031. A spanner in the works. Recently, rugby, world rugby, should I say, announced that England 
will also be competing for that very same bid. And we are here to be able to talk about the merits of their bid against the USA one. So with that in mind, each one of these competitors, each one of these ranters, as we like to call them, will have two minutes to be able to debate the point at hand. Is there merit in that uh, conversation, whether England could trump the USA bid or not? Or is it all just hogwash? What do they think? But they each have two minutes to be able to tell us what they think using the yellow card. I will remind them if they go over two minutes, they got their first warning. Continuing to do so, they'll be promoted to the red to be out for the next round. With all that being said, they know the rules. We're going to start this round with our guest, and that is Daryl McCormick. And I will hand the floor to you. In between, I'll throw in a few interesting points for us to get a little bit more context. But once again, we are debating the merits of the England proposed bid for the 2031 World Cup in competition to the USA bid to host the Rugby World Cup on US soil. Daryl, take it away. All right. Thanks, Ty. So my, my take on this is, um, is, is this, that uh, MLR is the if, – if it wasn't for the MLR, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. So uh, MLR has put us on the map as a rugby nation, and if you, if, you, if you put yourselves in the shoes of world rugby, they've got to be looking at the success of Japan, um, how they have grown as an emerging nation and, in fact, sponsored and hosted a, a very successful – uh, World Rugby Cup. So it's got to be in their eyes. And so that puts us, if if if, if you look at the Japanese uh, professional league, they're attracting some phenomenal players. I mean, Bowden Barrett in the prime of his career, away from Super Rugby. So they have arrived. They have plenty of financial backing. They have grown and, and emerged as a great nation. And that the, the world has seen that. And so my take is that World Rugby is also wish, watching that, which to me, means MLR is next. We're, we're next up to bat. We have the opportunity to do the same thing, and that has to be an attractive package to World Rugby is the fact that they, they have this new emerging nation with a massive uh, audience out there in North America, not just the U.S., but also Canada, uh, and that's got to be extremely attractive. England, they don't really have that to bring to the table. They have their tradition and, and, and those types of things. So I think that package has got to be super attractive to World Rugby uh, and the potential audience, and I just think that's going to be the the, uh, the 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 thing that puts us ahead of the game is that attractiveness attractiveness to World Rugby. Right. So to be able to sum it up, your platform for your 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 rent is really the. Oh, can you hear me? Am I on again? <laughs> so your, your platform to be able to build from there in that rent is the fact that the U.S. has more to offer than England at this time because it's got Absolutely. more room to grow. It's an expanding league, It's attracting attention from new markets. Yep. And itself is a new market. And who in any sport around the globe doesn't want to have an ability to tap into a, a sports-rich culture like the U.S. is? Where they know it's lucrative. They've got great examples of it. So, yeah, there's more to gain by offering this opportunity to the U.S., then maybe there is a little closer to home for them than if it were England, if I'm understanding your point correctly. Does that sound right? Yep, absolutely. 100%. I think that's a really, really good point. And when we talk about the financial gains, let's look at two examples. We think about most recently with Japan. 
Japan was given an opportunity as a developing emerging rugby nation. So not that we're in the same category just yet. That's not what I'm implying. But many right. of the same parallels can be made between where their rugby was when they started their journey towards a rugby world cup. Bearing in mind, their first bid was back in 2011 to try and host the 2011 World Cup. They only achieved that goal when receiving the 2019 Rugby World Cup, and that generated over $800 million for that country, in, in well, for the world rugby, should I say, but it brought in over $4 billion to their economy. In contrast, when we have England, who back in 2015 were the host, alongside some of the other host nations, it was a joint bid, but bulk of the tournament was held in England, and they only generated $200 million in comparison. And that's a difference of four years. And 800 was derived from an emerging country. And the powerhouse where rugby was born generated four times less. That's an interesting point. But let's hand mm. it over to Rob Hammerschmidt. Absolutely. It's a point that I wanted to bring up. So thanks, Ty. I appreciate you killing my fire. No, um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I left that one for you. But um, I actually wanted to see this topic come up because I felt like driving our good friend of the show, Ross Campbell, absolutely crazy. Uh, so he, he's a big advocate for the United States having uh, the Rugby World Cup in 2027. Um, but the reality is uh, that I think we have to look at the pattern for what's been established based upon the, you know, Japan. Um, remember that they put in for 2015 with their eye actually in 2019, which they were given. Okay, so look at the pattern. 2011, New Zealand, Southern Hemisphere. 2015, England, Northern Hemisphere. 2019, an emerging market. 2023, Northern Hemisphere with France. My guess is Australia. That's by all accounts. People are saying Australia is going to get 2027, 2031, an emerging market. Am I saying that England is not going to be competitive for 2031? No, I just don't think that that's what they actually have their eye on. I think they're looking to have their eye on 2035, if I had to put you know money on the table. Um, and, and I tell you, there's two reasons why. World rugby is heavily influenced by the, by the RFU. RFU or the World Rugby doesn't move with the RFU's approval, so they have a plan, right? Um, just look at what Dan Leo talks about in Oceans Apart. You can very much get the sense of, of RFU's power within World Rugby, um, and quite frankly, World Rugby is pouring a lot of money into rugby development into the United States. A good friend of mine has been doing a lot of youth development programs in Seattle, Atlanta, DC, amongst others, in the last two or three months. Why? Because World Rugby wants to see the United States get a Rugby World Cup. They want to see the players that are 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, whom they're they're putting money into these development programs right now actually become the stars of 2027 and potentially 2031, right? They, that's 10 years' time. Those kids will be in their prime right. for those two World Cups to get into the bonus or to the, the, the knockout stage and then maybe get win a, win a quarterfinal in 2020, uh, 2031 on the home soil. That's right. what they're trying to produce by pouring all the money in there. That's why I think it's going to be England in 2035, United States in 20, or North America in 2031. Right. So your argument is they've already made the investment. They've laid, laid the foundation. Why would they change course? Correct. Um, when they've already kind of formulated this plan um, that has the, 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 the um, fruitions coming out at around about the same time. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of merit in that because, as you identified, um, recognizing the talent as young as 12, 13, 14, 15 years old will be that generation to become the senior players 10 years from now. 
And, you know, I also wanted to circle back around to something that was kind of an underlying theme that, you know, the, the Rugby World Cups often are bid on with the intention of losing the first bid, knowing then what you have to be able to work on and put you in a better position for the second bid. Now, that change only came about very recently because the laws were changed or the rules and the guidelines and the process for choosing the host nations had moved to a dual announcement format away from a traditional one event, one announcement, and everybody would compete for that same one. So you really only had a five-year cycle to be able to, to plan your bid, do the bid, and then by the time it was announced, you had a four-year difference between when it was announced and when you were going to be hosting it. And that's very short, especially for developing nations. So this dual announcement format was in, uh, inducted because it meant that if you were planning for a 20 uh, 27 Rugby World Cup, um, you know, or sorry, I say a 2031 Rugby World Cup, you could bid for the 27, learn what you needed to work on for the 2031 and put yourself in better stead. This, we all believe, is the formula that USA is following, which is kind of to your point earlier that some people may recognize, well, why are we not accepting that 2027 could be the, the, the winning bid? Because the formula isn't designed that way, all right? And that would be my answer in short. It's not to say that it's definite. It's not to say that it will or won't be. But I think it's easier to recognize that why we are talking about 2031 is that it seems to be, by all rights and, and, and all those considered agree, the more likely bid to be successful for the U.S. However, on the contrast to that, England has not identified that they plan to do a 2035 bid yet. We only know the 2031 one. So with all that being said, and offering a little bit of background and context, really great delivery from Rob and another great point made by him. Let's hand it over to Scott Ferraro. Let's get hot, baby. So, you know, I do think that England, let, let's be honest, you know, England putting in a bid for any World Cup, no matter what year it's going to happen. You know, they're one of those teams that it's already, everything's already set up for them. They've done it before, you know, 2015 right. being the last one. So it, it's not, it's not the hardest thing for them to do. Whereas, you know, here we harp on it a lot. You know, one, it's, is it a, a USA bid or a North American bid? You know, how do you, how do you, you know, go from coast to coast, you know, where, where travel in the UK is a little bit easier in England is a little easier, you know, Japan, Japan kind of had the same issue where they were kind of traveling a lot, but I still feel like the time zones for the United States is, is a big thing. Um, what I think the RFU is doing is they're under, they have the understanding that Rob was talking about where, you know, this upcoming one is France. The next one in, in the pattern of what the, we've been doing would be an emerging market. But we also know that Australia is hurting on the rugby front, right? So Australia most likely getting 2027, even though it's not the quote unquote emerging market like Japan and USA are. We know if, if the rugby quality is not there, if the fan engagement's not there in one of the tri nations, we have an issue. And I think having a rugby world cup there can fix that. Um, so I think Rob is right about this pattern. I think the RFU knows that. Um, and the RFU knows that if you have emerging, uh, people like the U S and Japan, what's going to happen, right? You have a, you have a USA rugby world cup in 2031, right? You get X amount of rugby fans, right? Now you have X amount of rugby fans from Japan from 2019. Mm -hmm. RFU gets it in. 2035, 20 years after they got it in 2015, right? Which is a nice round number to begin with. Now, 
USA and Japan fans are going to come out to watch their team in the UK because there's X amount of fans, right? There's going to be some fa- a lot more fanfare for those emerging market teams to go to England and watch their team play in the Rugby World Cup. So it's not just talking about what England can do in England and playing the powerhouse teams. It's those emerging markets as they're going to play each other in those pool matches. Ticket sales are going to rise. Ticket sales are going to become more competitive. What's going to happen on the secondary market for those ticket sales? Obviously, tourism one of the biggest things that happens during a rugby world cup, a soccer world cup, you know, a super bowl in America, right? Tourism spikes, sports gambling spikes. It's just, a, it's, I think RFU is seeing what the pattern is and knowing that 20, even though 2031, that that's the bid they're looking at. Again, it's probably going to be 2035. It's a nice round number. World rugby, you know, it, they know what they're doing. They see, they can see the forest through the trees. I think it's a good idea. Right, and let's be honest, they all run in the same circles, those decision makers. So, you know, this has probably been strategized for for much longer than we all know. But in that strategy, there was an interesting twist, because back in 2020, it was originally announced, in fact, I think it was also reiterated earlier this year, that it would be a home nation bid that was speculated. And what I mean by that, it would be a combined bid between Ireland, Wales, Scotland, mm-hmm. and England, and that was what they thought was going to be the formula, as it had been similar in the past. The unions are very close to one another. Geographically, they're easy to be able to get to. They do have the stable uh, uh, fan base, and it's an easy destination to get to. So on paper, great fit. However, the funding wasn't there because through the pandemic, all of them suffered, all rugby unions suffered. However, who comes out on top usually? The RFU. Right. So to further uh, Rob's point, the RFU is such an important playmaker and decision maker, whether we want to realize it or not. And there's many examples that can cite this. So they decided to be able to go it alone. But really, in this process, something else that was brought into this dual announcement process is that they were going to include for transparency. Now, there's the key word for transparency because this was a criticism of PASS in the bid process that it was not very transparent, they brought in a a panel that they would have a vote, and they would vote on what they believed their recommendation would be to be the host of the next Rugby World Cup, and then behind closed doors, they would vote again based on the advice that they received from this committee who evaluated all of the bids. This process, you would think, is pretty easy to be able to follow. If there's a unanimous vote and everybody says it should be England or it should be the U.S., that the next thing that would follow would be an announcement for that person if it's been recommended. That didn't happen. Here's, well, here, here's the thing. So, we, you know, we talk about crossover athletes a lot. So let's talk about those crossover fans, that keyword, I, the keywords I like to talk about here, crossover fans. So any of you guys who, who are college football fans or as old as I am, you guys remember the BCS system that they had, right? And then they went into voting for who's going to be national champions, right? Well, what would happen? The AP poll would be this, the, the whatever poll would be that, and you'd have guys who are co-national champions. You have this, that, and the other thing. You had people voting on the playoffs after the BCS in college football, and then all of a sudden their votes were public, but then other teams made it into those championship games. So my point is, as, as transparent as you want to make those voting, what's happening behind closed doors is what's going to dictate the actual vote. Right. So I, I, So whatever World Rugby feels is best for them, Regardless of what that public vote is, that's what they're going to vote on behind closed doors. Well, so I don't understand. My point is, I don't understand why everybody. Oh, trans, that's not transparent. We all know it's kind yeah. of shady. 
I mean, we all know what's going to happen. And at some point, somebody's going to get screwed. They hired to be able to do this. And, and to finish the example, so in the announcement for France to host the 2023 Rugby World Cup, South Africa was the unanimous vote of who should get it. They beat them in every single category, apart from two. I should correct myself. But the majority, they scored 78 on the, on the scoring system, and France scored 75. Ireland bowed out because they were knew they were going to lose at 72 points out of 100. So yet, all of it said that this is what it's going to be, and the, uh, the World Rugby still voted against the advisement. So forget about that, because right now, why, the reason I bring this up is that that same council has said on face value right now, it looks like the U.S. bid is the leader, right? So... Uh, and some people have said online, well, this is what it's going to be. All the experts say this. This is what it's going to be. My point remains to, to and, and leading back to Scott's point, forget about that, right? Because <laughs> it can change at the will. What happens just because you may win in all these other categories and you end up with the final points and everybody says you have the best bid on paper, they will go with what is best for them. Uh, and they may change that right at the last moment. What do you guys think? I mean, yeah, I mean, listen, it's it's a Kentucky Derby. It's a horse race, baby. Just because you have the best odds doesn't mean you're going to win. And, you know, people want to talk about who has the best odds as far as 2031, and everybody's going to say U.S., 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 U.S. But that's because we're also very vocal as fans. We have a charged-up fan base that wants it. So I think the pundits are listening to the fan base and not necessarily looking at the forest through the trees as wow. as as they should be. And, you know, for for whatever reason I've been noticing, and this is – a lot of rugby pundits, they're looking at what people say online and they're taking that into account like it frigging means something, and it doesn't. So let's be honest. Could could we have 2031? Absolutely. Do I think we're a front runner? Quote, unquote, I think we're high up there. Um, but when when something goes wrong, you know, South Africa has been hurting with COVID recently, right? You know, their tourism's down, this, that, and the other thing. So maybe maybe World Rugby steps in and says, well, in 2031, we have the, the Rugby World Cup there because instead of having the emerging market, like I was talking about before, you know, Australia's not the emerging market. Australia's the hurting right, market. And that's where they're, exactly. And that's where they're looking to put it. So maybe they do that in 2031 because of South Africa's woes. Right. And I do agree that Australia's for me, the most likely fit for a 2027 bid. And maybe we probably haven't properly addressed that. But to your point, yes, they're not exactly this rugby strong nation that they once were, but all the more reason they should get it, right? Because they are a critical partner to the success of the sport globally and they always have been. And that leaves 2031 open for, for England, uh, sorry, for well, England and the US. Um, but let's turn it to, to Daryl for a moment and really ask the important question here. Is an England bid a legitimate threat to the U.S. one? I think it's a legitimate threat. But if you if you look at some of the articles that were published, the reason for the, the new director of rugby there um, is the reasons like they want to they want to bring on more world class players and they want to bring inclusiveness in to the well. Who doesn't want that? Everybody in, in world rugby wants that. <clears throat> so I think if you go by that argument, it's it's a little bit on the weak side uh, versus growing the international market and more viewers and more people to the game internationally. Right. And, and then everybody wins. The entire sport exactly. has the opportunity to grow. And so surely this must be one of the great motivators. But we don't re- – and that I wish, you know, a little bit of more criticism for, for World Rugby. I wish they would identify what are the metrics for success that they are looking for because if mm-hmm. it's just financial gain, I have to be able to think, yes – uh, England is an easy fit, and, and you probably will be profitable. 
but it is pales in comparison to what's been shown by, by uh, uh, the 2019 successful World Cup by Japan. And if we could just mimic some of those same successes, it should be an easy fit for, for a North American bit. Uh, Rob, I can see you yeah, to jump in. So, you know, my question is, 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 this, uh, is this move by the RFU a little bit strategic? In other words, have they done this as, the, as World Rugby encouraged this in order for them to spur the the North American bid to kind of reach a higher level of markers in their actual bid. So it kind of becomes a motivator for the North American bid to really get themselves in gear, to really have a plan, get that plan on a table so that they're, you know, so that they become right. that front runner that everybody thinks they are. To use Is, that Scott's uh, metaphor of the Kentucky Derby, often a horse runs faster with one beside him. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> Exactly. Or, or maybe this is maybe World Rugby stepped in and asked the RFU, hey, just put in a bid for 2031 because if the USA bid falls through or if we can't find stadiums or oh, the time zones are going to be an issue. And, and not just pull it off, but I would say in an e way easier way because they've been there and done that and have the facilities. Oh, I wonder if, it, if they go to the facilities. And say, well, you, you know, we trying to, we want to do grass and we want to do this. Well, at that point, the whole Northeast is out then. You're not going to be playing games in the Northeast. You know, in the in the United States, if if you're going to make it, a, you know, grass fields and this that and the other thing. So I mean, you know, I, I I could see that maybe it's just their backup plan. Well, to that point though, too, England has hosted uh, World Cup events before, but I don't know, and maybe I'm wrong, but I believe they always co-hosted with another nation. In 2015, they had some events in Wales and they had some events in France. And um, you know, I think that stepping away from that tradition, I think France now in their 2023 bid is the only North American nation to be the sole host. Um, and, and they obviously have the ability to Weren't do they so. the sole host in 20, and sorry, in, in 07? I, I, I'm not sure. I believe one or two games were played actually in England or possibly even Italy. We'd have to research that. But in regards to England, I certainly don't think that they've ever been a sole host. I, I know for a fact they had some games in Wales um, in 2015. So this would be, might very well be their first time being the sole host. Um, and if that's the case, uh, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's going to be a little bit more difficult for them. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not even a factor, right? Because their level of the game is certainly at a higher standard than that in the U.S., for sure, and most around the world. But it, too, has its own financial struggles, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. There's a lot of different angles to be able to kind of yeah. approach this from. Well, just ultimately, um, sorry, you wanted to be able to jump in. Go ahead. Yeah, um, I'm looking at it now. Yeah, it's it was. Um, sorry, I'm looking at the stadiums. Lester, I mean, it looks like in 2015 it was just England's. Uh, no, there was. Oh, they played. They played. They used Cardiff's uh, Millennial Stadium in Cardiff. Yeah, and what? Everything. Yeah. yeah, everything else was was an English stadium except for Millennium Stadium. So I mean, right, because they needed a stadium it, of that size to host uh, um, the yeah. The so I mean, finals and finals. Correct, but I mean, I, I would say you know, it besides that one stadium, it's uh, the UK essentially uh, England essentially hosted by themselves. I mean, because right. you're going, you know, Twickenham and Wembley are gonna are gonna hold Mulder and Cardiff anyway. So you know, I think right. now with 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 the way it is, it's you know, 2015 was actually a, I would call it a soul. Uh, Big, you know very, what I mean? very close too. So let's say for the most part they could have pulled it off as 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 a sole host nation if they wanted to, right? Because they had the facilities, and that's that's another thing. But I wanted to kind of 
dive into my final point here on what I believe it's going to be a USA bid that'll be successful for 2031. If they end up being successful, let me rephrase it, it'll be for one of the key reasons. And for me, what stands out as being important to world rugby is that a, world, a rugby World Cup event is not sandwiched between two other larger events. And that's what will happen if it is 2027 in the US, because in 2026, you've got the FIFA joint uh, uh, event between uh, 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 Mexico, Canada, and the US, right? So you don't want to be on the back of that, because that's the largest sporting event the world knows, arguably so. The second largest is the Olympics in 2028 in Los Angeles. So you don't want to be sandwiched between these two. So it seems logical that they want to be in the limelight, that they'll move it to 2031. So again, to the original point, it's in their best interest to make sure that the USA, if they are going to be competitive and have a likelihood of achieving a win on either of those bids, it should be 2031. Right. Also, just to and just to re- uh, recap what Rob was saying in twenty uh, two thousand seven with the France World Cup, um, Cardiff and Edinburgh, Millennium Stadium, Murrayfield were two uh, venues hosting right. matches in that World again, Cup again, predominantly in France. But yeah, they were correct. Yeah, correct. So, so again, they were a joint uh, bid essentially. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, maybe it was only one or two events, but usually when that happens, they have to be the larger stadiums because they're later stages in the con- in the competition. Um, but yeah, that's that's an interesting point. So, gentlemen, as we, we head into to closing out this round, again, I will leave you with an important question. Uh, Daryl has already answered it in, in part, but I'll throw it started with him again. Who do you think is going to win the bid? And do you think England is a real threat to that, uh, if you believe it to be uh, America that will win that bid? So tell us I the final think, course. Yeah, I still think the USA has the, the absolute... I can't say 100%, but we're a strong leader. Um, I think, like you pointed out earlier, England might push us as as a nation, as a group, as a fan base, whatever, to get all of our ducks in a row. But I think we're we're definitely leading the pack, and I think it's going to happen. Excellent. Love your confidence. Rob, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think uh, the, uh, England RFU is a motivator. Uh, but ultimately, I think the United States is going to get to 2031 Rugby World Cup. I've been saying it all along, and I'm going to stand by my uh, my decision on that one. Right. No flip-flopping, right? <laughs> Not this time, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, let's hand it over to Scott Ferrari. Yeah, um, I think uh, 2031 is going to come here to the to the States. Um, I, don't, I think any earlier... It just wouldn't happen. Um, but I do think, I do think the English bid is more of a backup plan, you know, a catastrophic failure. We can throw everything in, in England. We can use Murray Field. We can use Millennium Field in Cardiff if we need to. And it's kind of already set up. But yes, I think, uh, the, the United States gets it in 2031. Right. And we will find out who actually gets it, uh, come next year. May 2022 is when the schedule is for the announcement of those two bids the first of which being 2027, uh, and then 2031 for the men's event, and, of course, 2029 for the women's event, uh, which America is, of course, a competitor in that bid as well, uh, which only furthers our point that we didn't talk about it, though, is if hosting a 2029 uh, is a great platform to be able to prepare yourself for a 2031, and a few trials before then could help you work out some of the growing mm-hmm. pains and, and the pain points involved. But it seems that everybody here... And the Rugby Rant podcast thinks that the USA is still strong 
And even though there may be a competitor who has risen, a worthy competitor, it still seems more likely that it's in the best interest of rugby as a sport and in world rugby's eyes to be the better pet. Well, we'll uh, have to be able to, uh, now with that in mind, crown a winner for this particular round. So, gentlemen, as per normal, you have made it quite challenging for me to be able to uh, pick a winner. And that being said, we'll find out who it is after the spread. Tadhead Brewing Company is Chicago's premier location to watch rugby and enjoy quality ales and lagers for all seasons. Located in Mundelein, Illinois, in the heart of Lake County, owner Brewster and the Tadhead staff will ensure that you are kept well hydrated so you don't miss a single scrum. Tadhead's tap room is like the familiar rugby clubhouse in which friends and teammates can meet, socialize, and enjoy the wide variety of brews on tap. And don't forget, a lot of things going on this fall at Tadhead. First of all, this year marks their 10-year anniversary of being in business. We have to throw a big shout-out and celebration of Bruce Durr and his group for being around and in business and producing great quality ales and brews uh, for the decade. And we would also like to remind everybody that you can go and watch rugby all fall. We have the Premier Sevens. We have the HSBC Sevens. We, of course, have the Fall Internationals. The United States will be busy in October. And we have the Rugby Women's World Cup. So there's a lot of rugby to have, uh, to, to show at Tighthead. So hey, Chicago, when you want rugby, Tighthead Brewing Company will satisfy your thirst. Tighthead, it's worth more than a try. So, uh, you know, we try and keep the lights on here. We have some great sponsors and, and the through line with all of our sponsors is how they help push rugby, just like we create, uh, rugby fans one fan at a time here at the Rugby Rent. And one of our sponsors is Rugby Coffee. Now, me and Rob, this is another thing me and Rob wore about. It's the two flavors. Ty has them right there. Joy Joy and crowd favorite. I'm a crowd favorite guy. The North American blend. Rob likes the darker roast. Has the rooster on it though. So I'm, I'm leaning, I'm leaning towards maybe Rob's swapping teams, but the Joy Joy has the darker, <laughs> the Joy Joy is the darker roast, a little bo- a little more robust flavor. Um, but you know what? It's just great coffee. I've, I've said it numerous times. I've bought this coffee. With my own money, not just because they're a sponsor, but because they actually make great coffee. And 10% of all the uh, revenue they got goes to youth programs in Canada and the United States. They're trying to go rugby in two friggin' countries at uh, at uh, Rugby Coffee. Um, go to RugbyCoffee.com to get your items today. I mean, fast shipping. I ordered mine. I think it was five-day shipping um, out of Canada, which is probably the quickest I've seen uh, since you know the pandemic started. Um, but again, just great coffee. Great setup. I drink it every morning to get the big guy going. Check out rugbycoffee.com and uh, help you with rugby. Does the little guy get going too? Just want to know. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Welcome back, rugby fans, again to the Rugby Debate Show. We put ourselves and our guests to the test in this rugby debate format. And what did we talk about on this occasion in episode 69? Well, we were talking about the merits of the U.S. bid against the English bid for 2031 to host the Rugby World Cup. Is the England bid a real threat? Well, we all thought while it certainly is a credible force, the RFU backing it, certainly the credibility to be able to host a Rugby World Cup, as they have done in the past and could do again, we all believe that it's only going to be more fuel for the U.S. to step up their game and that little bit of competition could certainly help elevate the quality of their own bid. But eventually we agreed that it's in the best interest of rugby as a sport to 
and that of the World Rugby Organization to make sure that it comes to the U.S. to grow the sport just as it had done in 2019 with Japan as an emerging market. However, we need to be able to remind everybody that the purpose of this rant is to find a winner. So, with our competitors on screen, we had Rob Hammerschmidt, Scott Ferrara, and joining us for the first time was Daryl McCormick. Who do I announce as the winner today? It's going to be Rob Hammerschmidt. Oh, that's Bam. crap. <laughs> yeah, that's crap. I think it was, uh, you know, you laid the, your, your, your rant down pretty well in the beginning by recognizing the pattern of the bids. Um, and yeah, I, I do have a tendency to be able to agree with you that it just, mm. if you follow the same formula going back 20 years, it seems logical that it should make its way across to the U.S. in 2031. And uh, it was a good foundation to be able to build your rent upon. And congratulations on the win. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And I want to throw a big shout out to uh, especially the big guy um, giving me this platform uh, to have another <laughs> successful um, rugby rent bid. And I appreciate the competitiveness of Daryl McCormick. It's always a pleasure you know, to have him on. I, I think it's we have to rethink some that, of this. Uh, I have to remind everybody what NOLA actually stands for. Yeah, <laughs> no one likes it. I think we have to rethink some of this because you know when Ty's not here as the host and the big guy's the host, he loses an opportunity to win the rants. I mean, I think it's BS here. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, you can't you can't how many wins? What's your win ratio? I think you're still on top. Of I'm it. still or, like. Or another way of thinking about you know. it is, you, you know, the big guy takes the mic uh, voluntarily because he's afraid to go up against the hammer one more time. Uh, that's ridiculous. You're just a mush mouth. It's okay, though. <laughs> and that's exactly why we do this each and every week here on the Rugby Network. And you can, of course, continue to be able to enjoy rants like these that have no point at, at, at all. But they seem quite entertaining in between a little bit of banter. And that's what rugby is halfway about, is the banter between friends, right? Uh, and, of course, you can follow that each and every week under the handle at Rugby Rant Pod for more great content online, on social media. Follow us under the handle at Rugby Rant Pod. Alternatively, continue to watch us here on the Rugby Network where there will be a new episode dropping every Friday where we will find another opportunity to pin these guys against each other with another great guest joining us in the next rant. But talking about guests, we need to be able to hand the mic over to Daryl McCormick Thank him for joining us here. And it is a bit of a tradition, Daryl, to be able to give the mic to our guest for a moment to send a shout out to anybody he thinks, she thinks is important, or a special call if you think you is worth drawing attention to. And I know we just kind of threw this at you now. So whenever it comes to you, <laughs> here's your opportunity, my friend. Take the floor. Awesome. Thanks, Ty. I appreciate that. Well, kind of um, what I wanted to bring up is that uh, I'm a recent transplant to uh, North Carolina. And uh, after arriving, realized there's a really, really strong uh, rugby community in both Carolinas, north and south. And um, create that uh, drove me to create a Facebook page that's uh, it's for my boys at Rugby ATL, uh, but with a, a Carolina twist. And uh, there's uh, quite a bit of activity going on in the Carolinas. I believe there is four or five uh, MLR draft uh, candidates from the Carolinas and some universities there. So I just thought I wanted to get involved with that and uh, and my little way of contributing as a fan. And uh, so I'm pretty excited to that. So everybody check it out at the uh, rugby ATL dash Carolinas and uh, check out the Facebook page. Excellent. And that's what it's exactly about. And you're personifying exactly why we do this is to be able to help 
Rugby Grow, one fan at a time. And thank you very much for joining us here. Once again, you have been watching the Rugby Rant here on the Rugby Network. And we will continue to be able to share more of this each and every Friday. So make sure that you tune in for more. And my name is Ty Braga, the host of today's activities alongside Rob, the Hammer Hammerschmidt, Scott, the big guy, Ferrara, and Daryl McCormick. We thank you for watching this episode. And we will see you at the next. Welcome back, rugby fans, to the second round of the Rugby Rant Debate. As you know, we put ourselves and our guests to the test. And on this occasion, we're going to turn our attention to the recent news that Major League Rugby is developing and launching the Peak Performance Series. This offers a rare opportunity for rugby lovers, enthusiasts of all different levels to really dive into the professionalism around the sport as they hope to elevate many of those rugby lovers, coaches, fans, anybody who really wants to be able to become a professional in the sport and elevate their level of professionalism. This really is the first time we've seen any program of this sort, gentlemen, and it's great to be able to see Major League Rugby driving it because they really have helped raise the level of success for the sport in North America. And we're here to be able to talk about the merits behind this, the goal that it may very well achieve, and ultimately, is it a great idea? So let's take a closer look at whether it will help elevate the professionalism of the sport here in North America. And to be able to start us off on this rant, we're going to turn it to our guests as we usually do. Remember, you have two minutes, and they start now, Daryl McCormick. <laughs> Thanks, Ty. Yeah, this is a pretty exciting uh, new activity, and it's um, uh, I think it's just one more level in MLR that's trying to uh, uh, elevate the professional level. I think uh, if you look at some of the Tier 1 nations and, and where we're headed, um, as a nation, you, you get into uh, all kinds of things like the mental aspects of the game. And you look at some of the, uh, not just the techniques and skills, but the, the mental, the psychological aspect of the game. And I think that's, that's all adding, adding to the mix and, uh, and creating such a professional high level uh, end of uh, rugby thinkers, not just athletes, which we have obviously the raw athletic talent, but uh, it just get us uh, trained into that uh, mentality of uh, the whole aspect of the game and the uh, mental, physical, and, and all of that uh, wrapped up together. So I think it's a really, really interesting uh, professional addition to MLR. Right. And, you know, it's got so many great upsides, and I'm sure my uh, colleagues will dive into some of those. So before I do, let's hand it over to Rob Hammerschmidt. Well, uh, first of all, let me start off by saying I've been a long advocate for the fact that the USAR needs to think about how they engage in, in growing rugby as a sport, uh, and, and we as a rugby-consuming public need to do the same. We just think that they need to put a lot of money to youth rugby and things like that, and, I've always, and, I, and I, we can't. Uh, the United States is far too large of a market order for the U.S. era to do that, and obviously, given their bankruptcy issues, they certainly can't do it. Now, uh, enter the peak performance series. I think this is where the USAR should have gone and certainly can help um, contribute uh, to where... Um, the United States will go to develop rugby moving forward. So what am I saying? Well, what they're really doing here is providing tools for referees, for coaches, uh, to 
to begin to think how they want to put in high-performance systems into uh, their clubs or programs, right? Um, and they can even expand beyond this and start to bring in how do you establish a rugby club? How do you run it? How do you get sponsorship? How do you do things to really generate that engine and make it sustainable? So the USAR doesn't have to fund and support it. They become self-sustaining grassroots endeavors on their own. I really like the idea of the fact that they paired this in particular in D.C. with the uh, All Blacks game. Um, participants get a ticket to the game, which is awesome. It'll be a sold-out show. Notice they're you know, talking about building relationships through rugby, which is important to any grassroots organization to build relationships and grow the sport. Um, I love the fact that they've included officials. We need to develop and bring more officials into the game if we're going to grow the sport. you got to have officials. They're a lifeblood to, to the organization. And finally, I think the next step of this would be to actually have one of these hosted in the next emerging MLR city. So imagine a city that's going to have an MLR team the next year. They host one of the legs of this endeavor um, to engage the grassroots organization in that city and prepare them to go into year one, two, three, or four with that MLR team. That's the way to grow the sport. I love everything you said before the two minutes and after it as well. So I'm going to give you the yellow, but I do like what you said. So let's kind of rewind a little bit. I went over because what I said was so damn good. (laughs) <laughs> let's, yeah, see. Right. let's see let's let's see the replay all right so yes i love the fact that you identified that this peak performance series is about giving tools to those that can then go out and create these programs can further the programs they're involved in by creating you know giving them the tools to be able to take it away and make these autonomous programs so they're not on a daily basis having to drive the success of, of these, these rugby individuals who will then go on to create even greater success wherever they may have come from. So they're giving them the tools to do that. And they're doing it in a convenient manner. They're doing it also around the large event, so it's got an added benefit, an added value, and an added attraction, right? So if you could learn about rugby, and you're not only there for that, but you get to enjoy it at the highest level as well, why not? Sure, Washington can do that because it's convenient with their calendar, and it just happens to coincide with that. But there are three locations that have been chosen. One is LA, one is Atlanta, and then one, of course, is Washington. And they represent three districts, the West, the East, and the South. If you are not yet familiar when these events are happening, allow me to share. The first of which is October 1st to the 3rd in LA. That'll be taking place, of course, with the, uh, uh, the Giltinis driving that, uh, that program. Then you'll have October 22nd to the 24th in the East, Washington, D.C. This has already been uh, kind of tied very closely to the uh, uh, New Zealand matchup, which I think is the 23rd, right there in the middle. Um, And, of course, D.C. being so heavily connected to Old Glory, D.C., they're going to be driving their peak performance program with their coaching staff there. Then you've got in the final piece in the South, representing the South, is Atlanta. And they will be hosting their event from November 19th to the 21st. And uh, that will be take place in the Snake Pit at Life University. What a lot of this will include, and I want to make sure that this is clear, that you're actually getting MLR-level coaches coaching them on the business of rugby, right? And in addition to that, high-performance athletes, how to manage them, how to be able to uh, handle their recovery, and all aspects of turning the game that you love from amateur to potentially reaching semi-pro levels 
or even greater levels than that, hopefully, eventually. So it's very important. And the first time that it's been done in this format, and a lot of people may argue, well, isn't this the responsibility of USAR? Rob already pointed out, sure, maybe you're right, but they can't do it, and they've proven that. So thank you very much for summing it up very well, Rob, and giving me the opportunity to add some context. The floor is yours, Scott Ferrara. So we're still cooking. So, I mean, I think the two biggest deficient parts of uh, rugby in the United States are American coaches and American officials, right? I think we could all agree on that. And Rob is right. Everybody keeps pushing this youth aspect. But what can we do now to help a coach move to the next level and help his players move to the next level? And that is doing these these peak performance uh, um Meetings, um, you know, MLR uh, game documenting, uh, match analysis, tactical understanding of the set piece, um, strength and conditioning sessions, recovery. This is one that's interesting. The discipline process, how to discipline your players. What's the process like? And then yeah. you know what else? You, ha- you have guys like um, Stephen Hoyles, Alex Cobracero, Callum Gibbons, Scott Lawrence, Marquise Goodwin on the officiating side, um, all presenting. And, you know, it's. I think this is this is the way forward. One, it's showing that the MLR is taking a step to try and build professionalism within their own organization, right? Not just not, and when I say that, I don't mean professionalism as far as the performance of the actual rugby. It's beyond that. It's the organizations. They want each organization to take a step up, uh, you know, professionally. And you know, having these meetings show that you know they they put faith in rugby ATL, OGDC, and LA to say we want these guys to teach coaches and officials how to do it properly. Um, the second thing, you know, for 400 bucks, you're getting the hotel, the flight and four uh, four sessions worth of worth of work, uh, two and a half days. I mean, with, with, you know, an MLR club in their facility, you know, if, if you are looking to take your club to the next level, take your school to the next level, take your youth program to the next level, learn how to expand your knowledge of rugby as a coach or an official, 400 bucks for this thing? Man, that's that's pennies, in my opinion. Right. What do you say to people who think that they should be free? Why talk? Listen, People it's it's also day, right? it's it's also a business though. You know, again, the the MLR isn't USAR and you know, MLR needs to make a profit here and to be honest, it's just like Every other, every other sport in America, you know, if you coach youth football, I have to get certified with USA football for a certain price, and then I can go attend different meetings for certain prices. They don't just say you can be certified to coach kids playing youth football, and that's just not how it is here. So I think, again, $400 for what you're getting in those packages is pennies on the dollar. Well, and, and not to yeah, mention the fact the that who's, who's likely to pay for that? I mean, if you, ha- if you run an organization, that, a large youth organization, you know, it should be the youth organization's interest to send a coach to that endeavor so they can bring that knowledge back to the club. That's number one. Number two, I think moving forward, the, the league can be a little bit more strategic about when these happen, right, so that there's added value at each point i mean imagine this imagine next year that in july when we have our fall uh, when we have our internationals uh the mlr season's over the you know there's a host city in july um centered around one of those usa matches here in the united states there's added value there you can do the same in the fall and kind of build it around some big events and- Maybe it's men's club championships. Maybe it's the national national collegiate sevens. Maybe you know down there in NOLA. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of ways you could go with it to build in the value and allow for a lot of networking to take place. And here's um, the other thing, and just to clarify the pricing, the four hundred dollars is 
also flying you in and giving you the hotel. If you're local, it's only $200. It's half the price. So really half of that price is to fly you in and have the hotel for three days versus the local, which is 200. I mean, you added that pot, you know, I didn't realize it included the flight. Yeah, it includes the flight and the hotel for 400 if you're not local. If you're local and can drive there or get yourself there or whatever you need to do, it's 200 bucks for the oh, session. You know, I got to say, Gilly could flight. afford to send the three of us out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pick up the cab for the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, that's, not, that's not a bad uh, proposition. I like the idea. And, and, of course, it's all about what you gain in it. And you spoke about the, the word you threw out a couple of times was value. So let me turn it to to Daryl for a moment. Do you think there's enough value in this that it's going to be attractive to the average rugby coach to be able to say, okay, a high school rugby coach might very well be able to attend this and gain value out of this experience? Oh, I think so. And I'll kind of touch on something I think Rob said earlier that uh, USA Rugby has has fallen down so much on a lot of this that it it, it projects the MLR and MLR is in, in I think has projected itself amongst rugby coaches in in, in at all levels that now it's the credible uh, source for training and guidance and how to build, like you said, a team and, and discipline and that they weren't getting from USA Rugby before. And now they have a credible source where it has a lot of clout, I think, at this point. Right. Uh, and really one of the able. criticisms uh, about USA Rugby is even though they may have had maybe more watered down versions of this, like it wouldn't have been gather everybody together and all these subjects would be spoken about. They would have little kind of mini camps to be able to identify what coaches can work on, what referees can work on and clinics to get them uh, certified. But there were so few and far between and they were often in obscure places and they were never convenient for people to right. be able to get to. And it and seems to me that the MLR has thought about these uh, these challenges mm-hmm. and found a way to overcome them, especially if the, the, the package is so attractive that it includes right. travel and accommodation. There's a reason why, though. When it, whenever we used to say, hey, you know, like I have a level two certification, right? I used to say, okay, I want to get a level three. And USA Rugby's response would be, um, okay, get eight people together that are like-minded that also want a right, level three. And, and it, so now it's my responsibility, yeah. right? And, and you know, think about that. You're like, okay, you know, that's, I, I want, you know, I want to improve right. my level. Shouldn't you want other coaches to do the same and encouraging them to do it and reaching mm-hmm. out and making that happen? And the second thing is think about how, uh, much credibility that gives this gives to the local MLR team, right? Mm-hmm. And I think about it from a Chicago standpoint, as I think about everything else in rugby world. Um, uh, you know, we have a lot of uh, a lot of tribalism here, right? But when you if 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 you know, let's say down the road a Chicago team came into the fray and hosted one of these, that would ingratiate everybody into the fold. And it would kind of help to break down that tribalism and help bring the Chicago right. rugby market together. So that's why I like the possibilities moving forward mm-hmm. for this. And that's why I also like the fact that they've identified three regions. And to Rob, sorry, to Scott's point earlier, they identified the most successful in those areas. You know, you got Atlanta, who mm-hmm. won the conference in the East. You've got the West, which also ended up being the winner overall with L.A., uh, and then you've got a logical partner out in the East Coast with Old Glory D.C. tying in the appeal of, of, of a world rugby event uh, with New Zealand taking on the U.S., so that's already an attractive package. That seemed like mm-hmm. a no-brainer there. So they've thought about the strategy. They've thought about the accessibility. They've thought about how attractive and how 
great a package it could be adding value for, for anybody who may attend. And I love that, that uh, Scott also pointed out how diverse the, the, the knowledge is going to be that they're going to share. Uh, because it really covers not only just the playing or, or the coaching or, or the you know managing the players, it's the business of rugby as well. And uh, that is where traditionally rugby has failed in the U.S. And I think also one of the biggest things they're going to do is they call it field sessions with the, with the team. I, right. I think that's more of what, what they're going to do is they're going to teach coaches how to set up practices. And I think that's the biggest fault in just about every youth coach who's starting out is they don't know how to set up a practice, a practice for whatever sport right. they're doing. And there's really not a guideline unless you know somebody who, know, who knows what they're doing. And sometimes it's few and far between mm-hmm. if you're stuck out there doing a youth program and, mm-hmm. and you don't have any help. I so, I mean, I think really, it's really good point. Yeah, I want to give you some credit for a moment on that because it brought something to mind yeah. there that is important. And we might, you know, so far, you know, we've spoken about how a rugby coach can gain value from this. But what if they're not already a coach? Like they might not even realize how do you even get a team started? How do you get 15 guys on a rugby field, right? How do you get everybody together? How do you navigate the licensing? How do you navigate getting them registered as players? How do you create a team? So I hope that they include it from that because we might have even overlooked the obvious and just assume that they're already involved in this. So I right. think it's, it's well worth mentioning that if it, if it does include that from that true grassroots level, if that's where you're going to grow, not only do you want the programs that are already in place to become better, but you want new programs popping up all over the place. Um, so, yeah, that, you know, whether that was the direction you were headed in, uh, Scott, or not, it still brought it to mind because right. you made that point relevant. So huge bonus point there for, for Scott, purely because it really did bring up something that I don't think any of us have actually considered yet. I actually considered it. That was the point of my rant is that it's really designed to grow grassroots. grassroots yeah, but here's the thing. And, and my point that. was that down the, down the road that how do you, uh, how do you, again, I said, how do you establish a club? How do you engage right. parents to do, you know, some of your organizational work you for you so you can focus on the coaching element? How do you do See, all those so things? Boring, nobody pays attention to them. <laughs> if you did say that, it, I, I don't know. You must have said so many nice things that that that, that maybe that one just missed. Uh, I missed that one. Okay, maybe maybe Scott just said one good thing, and that's how I noticed it. <laughs> but let's let's dive into the most important question. Returning to the start where it all began. Is this good? Will it raise the professionalism of where rugby is right now in North America? And let's go once around the table for a final thought. We started where we started this round before with Daryl. I think it will. I think there it might take a maybe a a couple of years for it to gain a little momentum. But once that the word of mouth starts to spread, and other coaches and and, and folks start talking about it and the benefits of it, it's going to grow. So maybe not right off the bat, but I think it'll grow into something very significant, very quickly. Excellent. Rob, final thoughts? Hell yes, and right away. Nice. I like it. It's going to make an impact right from the start. Love it. Scott? Uh, I definitely think it's going to make an impact on those individuals who are taking the opportunity to do this. And again, I think when they see the success of, of how it works out with these three, the West, the East, the South Coast conferences, I think they're going to do this more than once a year. You know, in my opinion, they should be doing this twice a year, um, you know, hitting all those hitting all those areas. But, you know, different cities in those areas, and they should be a twice a year thing. I think it's going to make an impact immediately. 
Right. So it seems we're all in the same opinion that it's definitely going to be good news. We hope to be able to see it grow and reach other cities. I love the point that Rob had pointed out is that maybe you want to target cities where there's an opportunity to be able to grow rugby because it might be an MLR partner down the road. Oh, are you surprised he picked Chicago? I mean, is anybody surprised he picked ding, Chicago? Ding, ding, uh, yeah. We were counting points uh, for every time he said Chicago. I mean, he, he as well. And as soon another as city that I'm that that I that I call home that might soon see uh, the MLR arrive. Right, both of them in the I was going to say, you know what? He's going to say, oh, oh, they should have it. In Lindenwood in Missouri, da, 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 you know that was going to be the next thing he's going to say. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? If, if, if you got royalties every time the word Lindenwood was said on the show, you'd be a rich man. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, let's 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 make sure that we. I have yet to get free tuition. That's all I know. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, you'll settle for that. That's probably better than the royalties, actually. But let's, let's settle something here, as we do in every episode. We need to crown a winner of this rant. And as you know, they put forth their best points, and of course, we need to be able to crown a winner. And on this occasion, in this particular rant, for a little bit of controversy, fuel the fire, I'm going to hand it over to Scott Ferraro. Goddamn right you are. Rob was talking for two minutes, and Ty had no idea what the hell he was talking about. No, 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 that's not absolutely not true. Remember what he said at the end of it? He said, you went over, but damn, all that was so good. <laughs> yeah, like, I think he was going to have a cigarette after he was done, after I was done because it was better than sex. Uh, you know, he just it was so much he didn't you're know how so to digest mad. it all. You're so mad so he, that you know, he, he, he told on, like, you it was going to stroke your ego. He told you it was going to stroke your little ego for me. So you know, and, you know, he he was trying to stroke your your little ego, and then three minutes later he couldn't remember what you said, Rob. So just remember who won this rant. It Is was that what me. you call you yours, your little ego. No, oh, that's that's what I call yours. That's why he has to stroke it. <laughs> Don't be jelly. Uh, you have been watching Don't be the jelly. podcast show where, of course, we put ourselves and our guests to the test to debate the matters at hand. This time around, we asked about the merits behind the England bid to be able to compete against the 2031 bid for the U.S. Uh, we, of course, covered that in the first part. Rob Hammerschmidt took the win on that round. Then when the second round, it was handed to Scott Ferraro for his points about the peak performance series. Again, we'd like to be able to take an opportunity to thank our guest, Daryl McCormick, for joining us. And, of course, you can find him online on social media through the Facebook page. Uh, again, remind our viewers, where can they find you, Daryl? It's RugbyATL-Carolinas. Fantastic. Growing the sport one fan at a time, and you are doing your part as well, and we thank you for that. And, of course, uh, as a Rugby ATL fan, uh, you're definitely in the neighborhood, so the Carolinas make sense, right? Absolutely. So, once again, uh, thank you for watching another great episode here on the Rugby Rant Podcast Show, where you can continue to get more great content each and every week by following us under the handle at Rugby Rant Pod. And you can see us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and everything in between for more content each and every week. Alternatively, make sure that you follow us every Monday evening for a run, pass, or kick interview where we will put another rugby insider to the test as Rob Hammerschmidt as the quiz master. And Scott Ferrara, again, will always, as per usual, be backing us as producer as he does so each and every week. And we thank you for joining us here on the Rugby Rant. My name is Ty Braga. On behalf of Rob Hammerschmidt, Scott Ferrara, and, of course, Darren McCormick, we thank you for watching another great episode. And we will see you at the next.